Welcome to the Good Question with Jessica Tanderup podcast. I'm Jessica, and I have a passion for asking hard questions and going deep in conversation. Usually these discussions happen over dinner or coffee with a close friend, but on this podcast, I bring them to you because I want you to know if you have questions, you're not alone. On this show, I invite apostolic leaders, thinkers, and fellow believers to tackle the tough topics questioners face as we strive to live out our biblical mandate to love God, love our neighbors, and take the gospel to the whole world here in the 21st century. I hope you'll join us because when you know Jesus is the answer, every question can be a good question. Hey friends, welcome to episode two of Good Question. Before we get started today, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who tuned in last week for our launch of episode one. Your feedback was so encouraging. It really made my week. And I wanted to say also a big thank you to everyone who shared the show and everyone who came over to join us on Instagram and Facebook. We are just getting those pages up and running, but we hope they will be good forums for continued discussion around our show topics and a place for us to share resources like other podcasts or books or social media accounts that we think could be a blessing to you as you ask your own good questions. If you haven't found us on social media, we hope you will. You can search Facebook for Good Question with Jessica Tanderup or find us on Instagram at Good Question Show. I also have to thank our first two listener supporters, This was the biggest surprise to me on launch day. Uh, My husband, Dave, who's also my sound engineer and editor and business manager, told me we already had two people signed up to support. It's an option that we weren't planning to announce for a few weeks, but it looks like the link is already coming up in the show notes. So we thought we'd go ahead and tell you about it. It's really simple. If you like what we're doing and believe in the mission of this show, you can support us for as little as 99 cents per month. We would be so grateful for your vote of confidence. I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest, Jessica Simpson. No, not that Jessica Simpson, but if that's who you came looking for, I promise you still won't be disappointed. We're going to be tackling a topic that can be a little sticky, which is the role of women in the ministry. Now, You might already have a settled opinion on this topic, or maybe you think it doesn't really apply to you because you don't feel called to ministry. But I hope you'll stick around because, as with any good conversation with a friend, this one doesn't go exactly where we expected. And there are some great nuggets of wisdom waiting for you in this episode. So let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Jessica Simpson. Today, my guest is my good friend, Jessica Simpson. Jessica is a licensed minister with the United Pentecostal Church International. She holds a Master's of Theological Studies in Biblical Studies from Urshan Graduate School of Theology. Her writing has been featured in several publications, including Reflections, the Ladies' Ministry Magazine of the United Pentecostal Church, and Relevant Magazine, and Christianity Today. She has worked in church ministry for 20 years in everything from children's to youth to ladies ministries, as well as media and promotions. She currently serves as the coordinator of ladies ministries for Calvary UPC in Lemon Springs, North Carolina, 
She's a teacher and a scholar, and anyone who has ever heard her teach or preach knows she operates under a heavy anointing of the Spirit. And also anyone who has the privilege to know her in person knows that she is an encourager, a promoter of others in their pursuit of their God-given callings. But more than all of that, which I value all of that very highly, Jessica is my friend, and I'm so thrilled to introduce her to you today. Jess! This is such a privilege. I'm listening to all of those things being said, and it's humbling. I think that my favorite thing is that I'm an encourager and a promoter of others. That's really what, what I strive to be, and I hope to be. So I'm excited to be with you on this venture of asking good questions. <laughs> I'm excited to have you here and the encourager and promoter of others describes you to a T. You are one of the people who has encouraged me in this endeavor. And so I can't believe that we're here and that we're actually doing this after all the conversations that we've had about it. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited. Is there anything else in your bio that you would say to somebody if someone was meeting you for the first time? It probably, I don't think it goes without saying that I'm a mom and I'm a wife. And that's ultimately my first mission field, right? That's anyone's first Mm -hmm. mission field is my marriage and my motherhood. My family, of course, is the core. That's probably the most important piece that maybe it's such a widespread piece that it gets left out, but it's important. And that probably what I would want someone to know first that I'm a wife and a mom. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So our topic today, women in ministry. You and I have talked about this topic on many occasions. We are going to get into what the word says about it and what we've heard people teach about it. But to start off, I just want to hear about your personal experience. So could you just tell me about how you came to know that God was calling you into ministry? I think I knew very early on. So I wasn't raised in an apostolic church. In fact, I didn't even really know what Pentecost was. I was Catholic. My family was Catholic mm-hmm. and our tradition was really that, you know, where you would go to church occasionally, primarily on Christmas and Easter. But I remember my mom teaching me I like bedtime story, you know, time teaching, like telling me the story about Jesus being crucified and uh, Pontius Pilate. And she, I remember these words mm-hmm. that she would say as a young, you know, a young kid. And something just grabbed me about that story. I was in middle school. I was uh, maybe 12 or 13 when I first met my friend who, coincidentally, her name was also Jessica. <laughs> but she in- invited me to come to church with her. And the I think it was like the I don't know, second or third time I'd ever gone. I just I received the Holy Ghost. I was so hungry for God. I didn't understand anything. Right. Mm-hmm. I did. I didn't. I didn't understand anything. I just knew that there was something so much bigger and it was what I'd always been looking for. And so I always felt very responsible that like everybody needed to know this. Mm. Everyone needed to feel this, you know? And I just wondered, like, I must tell them, like, I have to tell everyone and I have to be responsible to tell everybody. You know, my frame of thinking at that time I'm from a really small town in southeastern Ohio. Our church was very, very small. There was probably 50 people there, maybe less at the time. And part of the Ohio district, which as a whole is a very big district, a very robust district in the United Pentecostal Church. And so we would go to district events and I would see different people and see different dynamics. 
what I thought going into the ministry was at that time was that I would marry someone who was Mm. a preacher. Mm -hmm. So I remember asking my friend who had invited me. And so I'm getting, you know, she's 12 or 13. She's my (laughs) age, right? So we're the same age. I'm getting my, my, um, theology from her at this point. (laughs) And I'm like, so, so how do you know that you're called to be a minister? The idea was fascinating to me, not because I thought that was in my realm. I thought I just knew I was going to marry a minister because that's what it meant to be in ministry Mm. as a woman. And she said, again, being a 12 year old or whatever, she was like, well, I think you, it just means like that you have a lot of really fiery testimonies and you pray really hard. (laughs) (laughs) So like, (laughs) so you pray really hard and you have some anointed testimonies. I remember when she told me that I thought to myself, I want to have anointed testimonies. Mm. When I was thinking about this question, like when was that, like how it felt when I was first called to the ministry, you know, I don't ever have that moment that some people are like, I just knew the Lord said, you're going to be a preacher or the Lord said, you're going to be a pastor. I just knew that I needed to be about the gospel and I needed to tell people about Jesus. But when she said that, this is what it means to be a minister. I just remember thinking, then that's what I want. Mm. Like, I need to do that. And that was really when I first felt a call. It's been such a process. I mean, it's been a 20-year process to get to this point. I think only in the last probably four years of my life have I been able to say, I am called to preach. Mm. It has been such a long time coming for me even to be able to articulate that. It was always like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm called to speak you right. know, or I'm called to, to teach, but not preach. <laughs> uh, and it just dawned on me, like, that's silly. That's literally what I'm doing when I'm up here speaking. It's what I'm called to do. Right. So I need to just speak what right. it is and, and not dance around it. So it required a, a certain confidence in myself, you know, but going back and thinking about the support that I had externally, my pastor at the time, I don't know that I ever had a conversation with him about women in ministry per se, but when I graduated college, the next year was the first year that Urshan Graduate School was opening its doors. Mm-hmm. My pastor was like, Jessica, you need to go. I was like, man, that'd be really cool to go to seminary. And he was like, you have to go. And he said, I'm so jealous that you get to go. <laughs> I just remember. So his excitement for me was, I mean, that was probably the first kind of encouragement in that direction. And then I had other, you know, other youth leaders and other ministers in the church throughout my life who've just been so supportive. And I've never really had a pastor who has discouraged me. That's such a every pastor that I've it really is. And I realize that that's not everyone's experience. I have encountered other leaders that I've respected that were discouraging, but every pastor that I've personally sat under has been nothing but supportive. And I think there's another element to that 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 we'll get into, but a lot of that has to do with the way we approach submission and, you know, some of these things that people don't really like to talk about, you know, it's something that um, has to be talked about in not just for women in ministry, but literally anyone in ministry. I do want to go back (laughs) and hit on some of the things that you said, because I jotted a couple of them down. You said that when you first receive the Holy Ghost, you felt compelled. Everyone needs to know. 
And that took yeah, me to yeah. so many of the instances in the New Testament, in the Gospels, where Jesus touches someone, heals someone, raises someone from the dead, delivers them, and they immediately can't keep their mouth shut. They have to go and tell right. somebody. And that's the very baseline for Christians. We put right. the idea of ministry up on a pedestal in a lot of ways, but the very basic thing that we should all be compelled to do when you know Jesus is to go and tell somebody else about him. And right. that's just right. who we are as Christians. Yeah. I just love that that's where it started for you because like you, I'm not someone who who can put a finger on God called me here specifically. There are very strong memories that I have of different times, but there's not that one moment that like different mm-hmm. pastors or preachers that we that we've known or heard have given their story of when God called them in a specific service on a specific right. day. And so I think it, it's encouraging because if as a Christian, you just have a burning desire to tell people about Jesus and to do something for the kingdom, like that's a calling too. And we should all right. be on that path. I just really love that. I remember my pastor, and this is like the Lord sort of dealing with me all along the way. And I remember we were going out door knocking, you know, this sort of door knocking was really big. And we were like, just going out and not like scheduled. We were just going out knocking on doors. And I remember we went back and told him, you know, we, Hey, we just, we went out, we were just inviting everyone to church. And then we were talking about in Romans, how it's like, isn't that just supposed to be our reasonable service? Mm. I never forget his response. And now as an adult and as a parent and as someone who, works with young people and watches them grow in the Lord hit the response on his face was like, Oh, you get it. <laughs> he was like, he almost came up out of his chair and he was like, that's right. Like <laughs> he just, it was such a explosive moment there in his little office. Like it was just so exciting that literally that's like the baseline. Isn't that reasonable that this would be what we would be called to do is just go out and pull people in and tell them. Right. Right. So I, I totally. My pastor recently was mentioning in a Bible study that how it's almost unfortunate that we have, when you see a young person, usually a young man who's on fire for God and he's, you know, can't get enough of his Bible and he's in the altar and, and he's just, you know, really on fire that the first thing we all think is like, oh, he must be a preacher. Right. And he was, Mm -hmm. he was saying like, shouldn't we just be that way? as followers of Jesus, no matter what, maybe he's not called to be a preacher. Maybe he's called to be an accountant and to, you know, win souls in his office. We automatically funnel that kind of passion into a preaching and teaching ministry. And I've often wondered throughout my life, if that's not because there aren't enough people with that kind of passion Mm. yeah, and that people are actually missing their calling where God would, would ideally like them to be because the church does need leaders And so those people get funneled into positions that maybe someone else should have filled, but they weren't there in their passion and their commitment. Yeah. One of the things too, I was thinking about, and that jumped out at me too, is like, you know, whatever your passion is, where that intersects with the mission of the church, that's what your calling is. Mm -hmm. So like, if you're passionate about money, to use your accountant example, if you're passionate about, you know, organizing and finances and, you know, dividends or whatever, mm-hmm. and where it intersects with mission of the church, 
then that's where you need to be functioning, whether it's being an accountant for a local church, you know, to push the kingdom forward that way, or being an accountant at a firm where you can be that light or that city on a hill in that mission field. Yeah. Um, I think that's, I think you're right. We really undervalue that aspect of ministry. I'm glad that for your pastor to be saying that. And, and I think that as the church grows, certainly as our fellowship grows and has evolved, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot the last year or so, um, how much our organization has changed over the past 20 years Mm -hmm. and how different avenues of that kind of ministry have begun to be open to people and begun to be more acceptable so that young people, as they come up, it's not so crazy that they would think, I want to pursue this avenue of of a profession, knowing that I'm going to use it for the kingdom. Right, because we never know what doors the Lord is going to open. I think about all the people exactly. in our churches who have had production or graphic design mm-hmm. or video or audio or internet types of training yeah. in their colleges that in the last year have been called up into service. Like all of a sudden we right. need you and like you are crucial to the ministry of the church. We cannot function <laughs> yeah. in a pandemic without you. Like literally in the space of a month, they went from being just some people in the church to being the literally the most important right in the congregation right and who knows so. you know in the coming days who knows mm. what the next thing is going to be the complicated layers that are going to unfold in the last day when it comes that the church is going to have to stand in so many different areas that we're going to need people with expertise in all these different avenues in order to just to function in you know so function. i yep. And I think God is doing, I think God is moving people in that direction. So if we weren't there 20 years ago, and there's still remnants of that in some pockets, I think we're going in the right direction. That's what it feels like to me. I I agree. Getting us kind of back onto the topic we're trying to talk about today, (laughs) which is women (laughs) specifically in the ministry, in that call up of everyone, it makes no sense to exclude half of those people. Right. Because they yeah. were born a woman. Because yeah. God created you and he created me specifically and on purpose. And so, mm-hmm. like you, I am so pleased when I read and I hear about other denominations, not to knock any of them, but I feel like the Pentecostal movement as a whole mm-hmm. has been more accepting of women in ministry than other denominations might be. At the same time, there it's not that there hasn't been pushback and that there hasn't been opposition. Let's just go through some of the common arguments. What are some of the common things that we hear people saying about okay. the argument of why women should not be allowed to be called ministers? Okay, well, there is a sticky one that says women should keep silent in the church, taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... When you take a scripture like that, it's easy as a woman to be like, well, that's not what he meant and move on. At least I have, I have done that myself in the past because to me, it's just so absurd. That would be a directive Mm -hmm. from the Lord that when a woman walks into a a service that she would be silent. So I can dismiss that single-handedly, but even if we look at it and parse it out, if you take it at face value, right? Women keep silent in the churches. 
it directly contradicts Acts 2.17, where it talks about your sons and your daughters will prophesy, Mm -hmm. right? And it also contradicts Paul's just direct affirmation of women in ministry, like over and over again in his letters. Mm -hmm. He talks about women leading churches in Philippians. He talks about Euodius and Sintichi and and others. So to me, it's it can be dismissed through all of those. The Bible does not contradict itself, right? Right. The Bible, you can't have one scripture meaning one thing, clearly meaning one thing in direct opposition of a, a scripture, clearly meaning something else. Right. So I think that you have to put those together and see the big picture, which we understand that when Paul's giving directions in first Corinthians, he's talking to a church that's in chaos, you know, mm-hmm. that he's talking about people who don't even know how to, you know, sit and behave and function at a base Christian level or at a base kind of just group organizational level, you know? Right. And so he's addressing a multitude of issues and saying like, this is what needs to happen in this space. Like everybody needs to chill, just <laughs> listen, you know, it's like, because otherwise it, it, if the directive was for women just to be silent, well, that would know, preclude would, that they would even be able yeah. to receive the Holy ghost. Exactly. Or sing or sing or, or mm-hmm. anything or teach Sunday school or testify. It's like some people draw a line and they say, well, of course, yeah, women can teach Sunday school and they can testify, but you can't preach a message. You can't preach a sermon. You can stand in your seat with a microphone. But once you take the two steps up the platform and stand behind the pulpit, then somehow you're like crossing a line. I don't. It's very um, nebulous. Right. I think that you're right, that when we try to take a verse like that, and base a whole philosophy around it, then you end up with Mm -hmm. some really weird interpretations of what is and isn't okay that just aren't logical. Right. And they don't line up with, like you said, the whole of scripture and the examples that we see of women leading and speaking and also the direct commands from Paul, especially to the church. I mean, his words are often used to say that women shouldn't be speaking. But if you read even the verses just in context right around those passages, he's directly telling them the opposite, speak, prophesy, you know, uh, all of these things. And so everyone bring a word like that doesn't line up. It doesn't make any sense. You and I were talking a little bit before the call about a book that we both checked out a little bit. And I don't think either one of us has read it all the way through yet. It's a book called He Called Her Pentecostal Women in Ministry by Daniel Corrin. And Mm -hmm. I've been reading it over the last couple of days. And it has just turned on its head a lot of these arguments that we've heard all of our lives and yeah like I said I haven't even read all of it yet but his insight in the way that he has approached this topic and the in-depth research that he did really really is eye-opening and encouraging I text a friend who another friend that I also talk about these kind of topics with sometimes and I said have you ever cried while you were reading a doctoral thesis (laughs) (laughs) and she was like that sounds exactly like something I would do but I really did get emotional because it was so affirming and like you said earlier about your pastor like when someone is in your corner saying, no, you, you have to go, like you have to do it. Yeah. It's just so empowering and encouraging Mm -hmm. and humbling all at the same time. I think what's really interesting to me about that book is the premise of it is he approached this topic from the idea that women should not be in, in ministry. Women should not be preaching. So his, his bias was coming from this belief that 
you know, women should keep silent in the church and they need to learn in silence and they can't usurp authority over man, which I want to talk about that Mm. scripture as well. But he's coming at it from that premise. And then through his research and through the word of God showing him, that's just not biblical. You know, he was able to pull out all of this truth and tie it together. And so, and he tells a little story in there about how he had had this opinion, you know, women shouldn't be preaching. And his wife had brought home a DVD of a ladies conference and he had watched one of the sessions and the lady who was giving the lesson or the sermon in the ladies conference, he was learning from her and he was impacted by it. And he was just so impressed. And he's mentioned it to one of his other male colleagues, another pastor and said, Hey, I, I learned all this stuff from this ladies conference video. And that pastor was like, Oh yeah, I watched that too. And he said, it just struck him as at how absurd it was as men there in the ministry. They're saying, oh, no, women shouldn't be allowed. But they're just like in secret watching these ladies ministries, DVDs and getting so much out of them. And he was like, this is ridiculous. So what me. are we doing? That's so funny to me. Really I think to another another point of being a lady or a woman, a young lady or a young woman that's called to ministry is that you're then you're kind of pigeonholed to be like, well, you're going to you know, preach at ladies conferences and you're going to be a lady, a ladies minister. I've heard that before. And I've certainly, I mean, any ministry is ministry, right? But to me, I've never felt, ever felt that my ministry was exclusive to, to women, to doing, Mm -hmm. to ministering only to women. And I think that's another thing that I've had to like grapple with over the years too, is understanding that there's a space for that. And there are women who are called to minister to women and that's their calling and their, their niche. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just like there are other men that are called to minister to men. Like that's their special gifting. And they're able to speak this language and and minister in this way that empowers men to do this. I just have never felt that I was called just to minister to women. That I think that it's broader than that. It's bigger than that. A lot of it is the Bible doesn't, really give us very many directives that are separated by gender. Yes, yes. There are very few things that are spoken specifically to women and specifically to men. And there are vastly Mm -hmm. more commands that are given to us about how to love one another, Mm -hmm. how to submit to one another, how to act as a whole as new creatures in Christ. Right. And we know that once we are in Christ, right? There's not bond and free. There's not Jew and Gentile. There's not male and female. We are supposed to be interacting with one another as like Um, co-heirs with Christ and all of us together as believers. Right. And that's how I feel in my heart and soul. When people, when I'm praying for people at the altar, if it's a man, I am mindful how it comes across. But at the same time, I'm going to pray for anyone that needs the Holy Ghost. I'm going to be praying for them. I'm going to be praying for anyone that needs <laughs> that needs deliverance. You know, I'm going to be praying for them. When I speak or preach or teach or whatever of the, you know, spectrum of <laughs> presenting information you want to land, it's going to be to anybody who's going to listen that he that has ears to hear. That's what's driving me. And the more I pray... And the closer it gets to the coming of the Lord, the more I feel that so keenly that we just can't limit ourselves. We literally need to grab every person we can and pull them out of the fire. 
and there's not time to grapple over this is a ladies group and that's immense but literally are they going to hell then tell them that they need to be baptized in jesus name and receive the holy ghost so that they don't that's where i'm landing on that yeah we're in the last days there's not time to have half of your players on the bench like we gotta get going here yeah and i brought up earlier mentioned that um scripture about usurping authority over a man you know i would not that a woman usurp authority over a man that argument against women in ministry is especially fascinating to me because saying that you don't want to usurp authority over a man equates ministry to being a usurper and a usurper Mm. is a a thief is an abusive form of leadership and it's not the biblical concept of ministering and serving to others and i would not want a man to usurp authority over another man either right Or right or a woman for that matter you don't usurp authority when, you know, and Paul was saying that in first Timothy and he's letting Timothy know, I put this boundary up and I don't let women do this, of course, but you wouldn't let men do that either. Usurping authority is stealing authority and right. nobody should be stealing authority, which brings us to another issue of submission, which is critically important for any ministry as well, or any minister as well. Right. And again, going back to just what I was re- reading actually earlier today from Daniel Corrin about that verse about authority and about mm-hmm. how ministers in God's kingdom are not supposed to be worried about authority as much as they are about servanthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. The kingdom of God is upside down. Right. The last are first. And in order to lead, you have to serve. And so that that word authority he was he was talking about the translation of that word and how we see it in english and it sets off all of these it sets off all these associations with things that if you go back and examine the text aren't actually there right and about how even in that passage that that's where paul is talking to women whose husbands are not in the church Mm -hmm. and how he's saying like the way that you go about winning your husband is not by demeaning him and beating him over the head with the gospel, but it's by the same spirit that every Christian should have, which is the meek, quiet, humble spirit of Jesus that draws people in. That's whether you're male or female. Yeah. I don't know of many people of either gender who respond well to being demeaned or berated or bullied. Yeah. Whether we're male or female minister or not, that's not a Christian witness period. Right. That's so true. And it's so accurate. And you can and you go back and study like when you talk about the Pentecostal movement as a whole and how supportive it's been of women in ministry. And you go back and read the history of modern Pentecostal movements and how in general, the Pentecostal movement at the turn of the century was just so heavily. There were so many women involved in pushing the gospel out there and, and revivals and tent meetings and all this. And then the feminist movement came and it kind of caused the pendulum kind of shift back against Mm -hmm. that tide of feminism and almost overcorrected it out of fear of a strong willed woman is going to, you know, take over or something. When the truth is, is that if you're living and if you are living the apostles doctrine, if you lay down your life for the Lord, then you have no ulterior motive. You are not Mm -hmm. trying to grapple for a position you're not trying to pursue a spotlight. And that is true 
in so many ministries, not just the pulpit ministry, and you talk about music ministry and people that want to pursue a spotlight. If you have the mind of Christ, you're going to be looking for those opportunities to serve. It won't matter if you're a man or a woman or what, it won't matter. It, it really it just is about serving. Yep, for sure. Yeah. One of the quotes that I highlighted in this book today was in the chapter where he's talking about if women can be pastors. Spoiler alert, he believes that they can. (laughs) But he says, more important than the title before your name is what comes after it. What kinds of people follow you? Who are you leading and how are they becoming like Jesus? Mm. Minister is a calling. Teaching is a gift. Prophet is a ministry. Bishop is a good work. Pastor is a weighty responsibility. And I think whether you're male or female, if you're pursuing the title, you've got it mixed up. Yeah. And if you're pursuing servanthood, whatever titles might come along, you aren't going to feel entitled to them anyway. Right. (laughs) You're going to feel probably more uncomfortable than comfortable with it. Yeah. And that's probably a good indicator that your heart is in the right place. Do you see any limits in the scripture on how God wants to use women in his church? I don't. I've heard and people I respect have different feelings on this. Usually they go back to that scripture about, you know, woman usurping authority over a man. And they use that as their reference point. But I do not see in scripture any limits on how God can use women except for the same limit that would apply to any person. And that goes back to submission and servanthood. You can't go rogue and this nobody Mm -hmm. can and be effective. So it's not about that you're a woman or not. It's about who is your pastor? Like who are you submitted to under spiritual authority? And if you are operating under spiritual authority, then there really is no limit to how God can use you. The problem is when people start to think they they don't need that covering and they can step out of bounds and go off and then it just is a mess. And that does not just apply to women. You know, that applies to any any person. It's just so important. And what I found about submission, it really in the last few years, especially, and it has given me such a sense of freedom because I realized that if I defer some of this responsibility for the whole world, if I defer some of that, <laughs> then I can be more free to do the things that I know God wants me to do right in the right here and now. And mm. to me, submission is is leaning into that and trusting God in the process. And it's not really submission, right? Unless you disagree. Mm. And if the people that I'm submitted to say, no, I don't think we should do that. Maybe we should do this. If I think they're wrong and then I can just say, well, all right, God's going to get you, <laughs> you know, like God's going <laughs> to take care of it. And that trust and usually almost a hundred percent of the time it works out because that covering that trust, that protection, you know, God is going to take care of it. And I, I didn't, intend to make this a big thing about submission but i think that when you're talking about not just women in ministry but anyone in ministry that's like going to be your first step to gaining any kind of traction moving your 
ministry forward, it has to be mm-hmm. in submission. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to see if we can try to encourage a couple of different groups of people at the same time. Okay. So if there's a young person, okay, a young lady or even an older lady who comes to you and says, Sister Jessica, I feel like God is calling me to do X, Y, Z. How do you counsel her? Well, it would be different based on the person. I think my very first encouraging word would be, then you need to do it, <laughs> which is <laughs> what, what are you waiting for? I think that it would be a different approach if it was a young person or if it was an older person. I don't know why. I think if I'm, I have a young person in my mind and I would encourage her to know that like she's going to have opposition and it mm-hmm. won't, it wouldn't matter. I mean, she's going to have opposition because she's a woman, but just because, because you're going to have opposition no matter what your markers are, right? You're going to have opposition mm-hmm. for your background, for the color of your skin, for your pedigree or lack of pedigree, you know, your gender, your age. So I guess that's where mm-hmm. that would come in. You're going to have opposition for any of these pieces, right? But when you're connected to the Lord, when you have a prayer life, when you are confident in your calling, if you know that God told you to do this, then there's nobody that can talk you out of it. And you have Mm -hmm. to find the people that are going to encourage you. The iron sharpens iron. So you have to find those people that are going to partner with you and believe in you and push you and help you when you're unsure or help you when a group of people say that you aren't qualified. I think we can't make a ministry distinction by gender. Okay, that would be my first thing. I've had someone ask me before, what if I'm called, and this was a not an older person, but you know, like our age, right? What if I'm mm-hmm. called to ministry, but my husband isn't? I was honest. I, I said, realistically, I mean, you're going to have cultural resistance in the church for that, for the kingdom of God, for the spirit of God. If you're looking at things just supernaturally, there's nothing that would prohibit that. If he's supportive right. of your ministry, he's not called to be a preacher. He's called to be a servant in the church, right? He's he's not called right. to pulpit ministry. He's called to right. service. He's called to teach Bible studies, do the landscaping. Yep. He's just called to work. And she's called to a pulpit ministry. She's called to teach in a more public setting. Culturally, the church might be resistant to that, but there's nothing biblically really that would prohibit that. So it's just right. going to be, okay, how do you stay true to that calling? And then manage the cultural expectations of the church. And that balance is something that people have to do no matter what their calling is and no matter what Mm -hmm. their situation is. It's always going to be God has always done radical things. He's always walked off the beaten path, really, to accomplish his goal. And so there's nothing to say that he can't accomplish his goal in whatever feels like a circumstance that's countercultural or not what people would expect. My encouragement besides the basic ones of like praying and, you know, finding people that can support you is just the fact that like lean into that opposition and and embrace it as being part of your journey and know that God is going to use all things together for his good. And I would say that, you know, I talked about submission and we talked about humility a little and just like how important it is. Like you can't seek a spotlight. You have to stay humble. 
always Mm -hmm. like question your motives. Your goal needs to start like right now, like today. Mm -hmm. So like, who are you around today right now? Is it your kids? Well, that they need a Bible study and you need to figure out your mission field right now, wherever that is and start to operate in your calling in the area where God placed you right now, right in this moment. And don't wait because the waiting is going to happen. I mean, that's biblical too, but your calling is, can operate now and it might be, it'll be bigger and it will grow and God will develop it. But right now is the time to do it now. Mm -hmm. So taking just a slightly different approach to this, we talked earlier about how you've had great experiences with pastors who've been super encouraging. Mm-hmm. But we also know that the reality for a lot of women is that they don't have pastors that are encouraging. They might have uh, leaders in their lives that are actively discouraging them mm-hmm. from a call that they know that God placed on their life. How do you balance submission with that kind of experience? Yeah. That's a tricky because I think the first thing is that you have to pray. And a book I just started reading that was recommended to me by another minister who's who also happens to be a woman is by Kim Haney. It's called For Women Who Are Called by Women Who Have Answered. Her initial story talks about how she wanted to go into in ministry, but her dad didn't want her to. He was just completely against it. And and anyway, the first thing she did was pray. And I think her describing how she handled that, operating in submission, being very sensitive, never backing down from knowing this is what God has called me to do. This is what God has called me to do. And then approaching that leader in, with prayer, with a prayerful heart, a humble spirit, but never backing down from that, the truth that, you know, God put in your heart that you were called to do this. And if that pastor, in her case, she's talking about her dad and eventually right. it all worked out and he supported her and, and, and so forth. If you're talking about a pastor and then there's a, a season of time where you've prayed and, and, and nothing is moving, it matters who your pastor is and it's your, mm. it's your choice who your pastor is. And if your pastor, his theology just is not in line with your theology and what you know God has put in you, then you have to find a pastor. You have to find a spiritual authority whose theology aligns with your theology. And I know that even saying that, that can be taken out of context Mm -hmm. and it could push Mm -hmm. people to be like, oh, well, you know, he doesn't do this or he doesn't believe this and I need to come over here. and I. And that's why I'm saying that, that there has to be a season of prayer and there has to be, because God can change the pastor's heart too. You can yeah. have a pastor who's like, I just, I don't know about women in ministry, but yet here is this woman in my church who prays, who teaches Bible studies, who has power with God. And when she you know, teaches or ministers in these ways, God really moves. So maybe there's something to it. Just like brother Corin said that, you know, how he approached it and didn't believe in it over a space of time and being exposed to these women who are being used powerfully are able to adjust. Like we're all in a process, right? And right. 
pastors are also in a process being able to give them space to say for you to say this is what what God has called me to do and if there is through prayer and 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 through a a network of support that you can find of people that believe in you the Lord can open doors that you thought would just never be able to be open God can do it in miraculous ways where you'll absolutely where where you'll sit back and say that this could only have been God and he will get yep. he'll get all the glory for it and then that very well could be a formative piece to your ministry knowing and trusting that God is the one who made the place for you and that for the rest of your life you will never take credit for it because you'll know that God is the one that created it for you and i say that too just because knowing that that also can be taken out of context because there are abusive kinds of leaders i'm saying this generally with the understanding that we're talking about healthy pastors healthy leaders healthy saints that maybe there's just a disagreement i'm not kind of addressing all these outliers of things that might be really abusive and controlling and um detrimental not just to an individual spiritual health but their family and i'm not talking about that kind of pastor you should not be under that kind of pastor. We will list these books in the show notes along with these episodes. Yes. I've never said that before and I'm so excited about it. Are there any others that you would add to a list of resources actually for women on this topic yes. or on, or for them to give to their pastors? If your pastor doesn't support women in the ministry, mm-hmm. definitely pray and pray and pray. Yeah. Lori Wagner wrote a book called Preach Like a Lady, and she addresses some of these issues. She does. She addresses some very practical things, and but she addresses some of these specific scriptures and what they mean. And here's another one. This isn't a book, but this is something that I find incredibly motivating and resourceful. If we're talking about resources, right? Mm. Any preaching by women who are actually doing ministry, like Nona Freeman, Vesta Mangan, mm-hmm. Claudette Walker. Kim Haney, they're not on like a soapbox about women ministering to women. They're just about preaching the gospel. And to me, that's so incredibly edifying to know that there are women out there. They're not just hung up on the fact that, oh, I'm a woman and I'm up here ministering. And oh, and by the way, I'm a woman. I mean, there's (laughs) actually in Brother Korn's book, he talks about Nona Freeman. And the first time that she said her mother told her in a revival meeting, the Lord wants you to bring the word. Yeah. And she said she fumbled around and apologized for herself over and over to the point that she lost the message that the Lord had given her and she had to go sit down. (laughs) And she said afterwards, her mom came to her and said, if you would just get up there and say what God said, read the scripture he gave you and preach the word. Stop, stop all the small talk, all the chit chat. Yeah. Just say what the Lord said. He would have moved. Right. And that was just really impactful to me to just be like, we do. We get hung up on like, oh, it's not. And I do this. Yeah. Oh, I, I, who am I to, to, to but mm-hmm. just hush and do what God said. Right. And it's all going to be okay. Yes. Yes. Ultimately, it's all about him. And I think we think that it's prideful. It's pride that would keep him from moving in like a, I'm so awesome kind of way. But the other side of pride is like, oh, I'm not good enough. It literally doesn't matter. You don't matter. 
<laughs> it's all about the Lord. <laughs> right. Exactly. It, I, um, so I lead the ladies prayer at our church and my husband is so, he's so direct. I was like, can you pray for me that I'll pray for me for prayer? And he is super supportive. He's my number one supporter, but he looked at me and he said, why? It's not about you. <laughs> I was like, Ooh. I said, <laughs> I said, yes, sir. You are exactly right. Because he recognized in me, I was like psyching myself out, making it about me. Like, oh, I'm going to be some right. big minister here. No, mm-mm. this is not about you. <laughs> it just, you just <laughs> let people pray. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so I love that. Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> Isn't it so great of God to give us husbands that just yes. say the thing we need to hear? Yes, yes, it is. And I'm grateful. <laughs> I'm grateful for him. Okay, so we are going to end this episode. What is a good question that you are asking these days? Okay, but this is what I've been asking myself these days. Why in the world do so many smart, thoughtful, educated Christians believe some crazy conspiracy theories about medical science? I'm not ta- I'm not talking about like government or laws, just right. about base medical science. I literally have science on my list of topics for future episodes. Well, it's been so much fun doing yes. this. I am so excited that we got to have this conversation. I am so excited that other people are going to get to hear your wonderful wisdom. And this was just a lot of fun. It was. So it was fun. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Friends, I hope that conversation encouraged you. If you're a parent or a leader, I hope you take to heart the reminder that an encouraging word from you goes much farther than you might ever know. I love how Jessica summed up finding our calling, where our passion intersects with the mission of the church. Don't we love to overcomplicate things? Most of all, I love how a discussion about women in the ministry came back around to fundamentals that apply to every member of the body of Christ. Walking in humility, pursuing servanthood over position, and choosing godly submission. When we do things God's way, there is protection and true freedom. I want to reiterate what Jessica said to women or really to anyone who feels a calling of God but maybe you don't feel encouraged or supported by the godly authority figures in your life. Your first step is to pray, and then you pray, and then you pray some more. Walk in submission and pray. Practice humility and pray. If God has called you to do something for Him, He will open the door. Trust His timing, and don't wait. Look around for what you can be doing right now. Just keep following him. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Good Question. You can follow the show on Instagram at Good Question Show. And you can follow me at Jessica Tanderup. That's Jessica T, as in Tuesday, A-N-D-E-R-U-P. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this show or any ideas you have for future episodes. If you liked what you heard today, will you share this episode with a friend? We'd also love if you'd leave us a rating and a review and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. We'll be back here next week with another good question.
See you then.